welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, as always, I would pray that you would speak and lead us into all truth. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. One of the great truths about God is that he makes himself available to everyone. No one is beyond the reach of his grace, even his enemies. And nowhere is that better illustrated than in the life of the man who came to be the great apostle Paul. Born in the city of Tarsus, Paul was both a Roman citizen and a wealthy Pharisee. Paul was his Roman name, Saul his Jewish name. As a young man, he had been educated at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel, who was one of the most prestigious teachers in all Jerusalem. Paul was a deep thinker, a brilliant and powerful defender of Judaism, and he earned the respect and admiration of the Jewish religious leaders. In fact, he was one of their rising stars. And in the attempt to eradicate the church that was rapidly expanding in their midst, he became one of their chief persecutors. He later described himself as vigorously pursuing believers, throwing them into jail and hunting them even to their deaths. In fact, we first see him in scripture guarding the coats of those who stoned the first martyr Stephen to death. And the book of Acts tells us that he gave full approval to what they did. He was a committed, driven opponent of this new threat to the Phariseeism he so deeply believed in. But then grace intervened. The risen Lord himself appeared to Saul on the dusty road to Damascus as he was headed to arrest more believers. And the Lord revealed that Saul was really persecuting him and not just his disciples. He then told him to go to the city where he would learn what he was supposed to do. Those who'd been traveling with Saul had led him by the hand into Damascus as he had been blinded by the light of Christ's presence. And for three days, the sightless Saul did not eat or drink while he waited for God's direction. It was then that God sent his servant Ananias to lay hands on Saul to restore his sight and give him God's message that from now on Saul would be Christ's chosen instrument to proclaim the Lord's name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Ananias also warned Saul that there would be much he would suffer as he fulfilled God's call on his life. And from that moment, grace began to change the Pharisee Saul, enemy and persecutor of the church, into the Apostle Paul, protector of the faith and preacher to the Gentiles. Paul's encounter with Jesus Christ was dramatically different from others in the New Testament, and his life is filled with so many rich examples of God's grace at work in him and through him. But it seemed fitting to me to look at some of the things he said about God's grace in his letters. 
He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, so there's much to draw from, but I've chosen just a few verses to highlight what Paul said about his own life and his own experience of God's grace. So where do we begin? Well, we've already seen that from the time Christ first appeared to him, Paul knew that there was a specific call on his life to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But I think the full dimensions of that call and all it meant became more clear to Paul only over time. Near the end of his life, during one of the many times he spent in prison, and they'd had some struggles with that. Paul acknowledged that his message may have been hard for Jews there to receive, but he confirmed that it had always been God's plan to bring the Gentiles into relationship with him as well, that both Jew and Gentile were always meant to share together in the forgiveness Christ's death had purchased, and that both would be accepted if they put their faith in him. So in Ephesians 3.8, he wrote about how he saw his call and his ministry, saying, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. First of all, Paul saw himself as being less than others. He wasn't boasting, he wasn't arrogant or prideful of what he'd done. On the contrary, he acknowledged that the call on his life was a call of grace. God's grace made him a chosen vessel for a specific purpose, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And you know, it probably hadn't been easy for him to do that. Have you ever thought that he must have had his own reservations about it in the beginning? It was against everything he'd ever been taught, for starters. He'd had some things to think through and to overcome. And following that call had also been hard physically. He'd gone to places where others had not gone, taking the gospel to new areas and new peoples. He met with opposition and misunderstanding. He wound up being persecuted himself. We'll see that more later. But here in Ephesians, he could look at all of that and say, God's grace gave me this to do, and it has been a privilege and a gift. The amazing truth is that God has a grace-filled purpose for your life and mine also. We too are his chosen instruments to proclaim his name to the world we live in today, right where we are. Now, it's quite likely we won't have a ministry as dramatic as Paul's, but just as with him, when we have truly believed in Christ Jesus, the direction of our life is changed forever. We no longer live for ourselves, but rather for God's purposes and for his glory. We've been given a story to tell, and though our efforts to tell that story are probably simpler than Paul's, they're just as unique and just as vital to God's plan, and they are just as much a gift of his grace. Now, I know you might be sitting there thinking, but I'm not as well qualified as Paul. He was smart. He'd had the best training possible. He was super confident. No wonder God could use him. 
But in reality, the second thing we see about grace in his life is that it wasn't about his strengths at all. In fact, it was quite the opposite. If you think about it, this must have been an early realization for Paul, because immediately after encountering Christ on the Damascus Road, all his strengths didn't really matter anymore with anyone. His faultless reputation with the Jews was ruined. They wanted nothing to do with him, and he wasn't gladly accepted by the Christians either. Acts 9.26 tells us that Paul tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They were suspicious of him, and I'm sure we can understand why. But God used even this for Paul's eventual benefit, because it humbled him. In a human sense, Paul had a lot of strengths, things that he could have taken pride in. In Philippians 3 verses 4 to 6, he said, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But he had learned something in the years that followed that Damascus Road experience. Listen to what he says in the very next verses. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul came to understand that everything he'd had and everything he'd been was worthless compared to what he'd been given in Christ. And I think the good news for all of us in that is that the King of Glory really doesn't need what we can bring to the table either. He uses whoever he chooses to use and sends them out with his unlimited and unconditional grace. And when you realize that, it is humbling. Apparently, humility was something Paul needed to be refreshed on, for God gave him a recurring reminder of his own weakness, lest he begin to think more highly of himself than he ought. Paul called it a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what type of hardship or irritant this thorn was, but Paul clearly knew God gave it to him, and its purpose was to keep him dependent on God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, he explains that he pleaded with the Lord three times for it to be removed, but God had answered, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Whatever the thorn was, it wasn't as important as what it accomplished. It kept Paul's eyes firmly focused on God, 
It kept him dependent on God's grace, and it gave an opportunity for God's strength to be made manifest. So much so that ultimately Paul came to see it as a blessing, realizing that when he was weak, Christ's power and God's faithfulness were even more evident. Paul learned that God's grace transforms our weaknesses into blessings. Grace also taught Paul something else very important. It taught him to be content in whatever circumstances he faced. When he wrote from prison to the church at Philippi, he assured them in Philippians 1 verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He believed that even being imprisoned and chained to a Roman soldier had its uses because it gave him a captive audience and many of those soldiers he shared the good news of Christ with became believers. Paul was using his chains to advance the gospel. And in Philippians 4 verses 12 to 13, Paul let them in on the reason he could live so confidently and peacefully in those chains. It was because he had learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He said, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul knew that even in the most adverse situations, God was with him. And in an even later letter, written to his son in the faith, Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, that in his darkest moments, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Make no mistake, Paul had a difficult life as a follower of Christ, and there really were many other things beside chains and imprisonment that happened to him as he followed Jesus. Conveniently for us, he listed some of those things in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. He says, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and have toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. How did he endure all that? It was because he'd learned to be content in every circumstance, and he knew that he could do all things through Christ who gave him strength. Paul didn't directly relate this next point 
to the working of grace in his life. But I think it's abundantly clear that grace was the source of it. I want us to see something that only grace could enable him to say. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He gave the same challenge to the believers in Philippi, but in an expanded way. In Philippians chapter 4, he first encouraged them to do some specific things, saying, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then he told them in verse 9, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Paul followed Christ wholeheartedly and he confidently called others to follow in his steps because he knew where that path ended, with Christ himself. He mentioned several specific actions and attitudes the Philippians should have in their lives, and he promised that all who would do these things as he himself had done would find the same peace he had known. I don't know about you, but that is a real challenge to me. We so often say jokingly, do as I say, not as I do, but Paul said, do as I do and it will take you to the right place. Only a grace-filled life could offer itself as that kind of example. There was another way in which Paul was an example to us. He not only showed us how to follow Christ, he also showed us how to finish well. In Acts 21, Luke reveals that on his final journey to Jerusalem before his arrest, Paul was warned by a prophet named Agabus that he would be bound and delivered to the Gentiles. When those accompanying Paul heard this, they begged him not to go. Acts 21 verses 13 to 14 reveal Paul's reply. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. Paul was ready to make any sacrifice necessary for the Lord, even if that meant he was to die for the name of Jesus Christ. And the prophecy did prove to be true. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and spent many years in Roman prisons after that. He would be released only to be arrested again around AD 67, and this time, according to tradition, he was beheaded in Rome, suffering the customary means of death, 
for a Roman citizen. During that final imprisonment, shortly before his death, in the same letter to Timothy that we talked about earlier, he wrote, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Confined to prison and facing imminent death, Paul looked back on his life with a sense of peace and completion. He had fought well. He'd finished what had been set before him, and most importantly of all, he'd kept the faith. He was ready to meet the Lord, and he was confident of receiving the reward God gives to all who long for his appearing, the crown of righteousness. I wonder if we can say the same things Paul did. Are we depending on God in every situation? Are we content with where he's placed us for now? Do we model faith as Paul did? Do we dare ask others to follow us as we follow Christ? Are we confident, even in the face of death, that we have given everything we have to serving Jesus? Paul's life reveals so much about God's grace. By grace, God gave Paul a purpose as his chosen instrument to take the news of Jesus to others. And it was grace that helped him to experience God's power through his weaknesses rather than his strengths. Grace enabled Paul to do all things through Christ's strength and be content in whatever circumstances he faced. And grace empowered him to be an example to others as he fought the good fight, as he finished the race and kept the faith in order to finish well. And that same grace is available for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will we turn to him? Will we follow him? Will we finish the course he has laid out for each one of us? We can through grace and grace alone. In these past weeks, we've studied some remarkable people and learned how encountering God's grace in Christ changed their lives forever. Nicodemus showed us how God's grace receives us just as we are. It speaks truth to us in ways that we can understand. But grace is personal. It requires our response, our personal faith in Jesus Christ's sacrifice. The Samaritan woman's encounter with Jesus at the well of Sahar revealed that by grace, God sees every soul as valuable. He is seeking out every one of us, no matter who we are or where we've been. By grace, he helps us to see ourselves as we really are. And it's there that we are made whole because once things are exposed, things can be healed. And finally, the grace of God in Christ sets us free to share with others. We too can work in his fields and bring in the harvest he so desires. John the Baptist encouraged us with the truth that the grace of God sets us apart 
even before we are born and unfolds God's plan to us as we walk in obedience to his call. Grace encourages us and gives us the strength to hold on even when we doubt. And yes, it is the grace of God that enables us to fulfill our ministry and to finally hear those words from our Lord, Well done, good and faithful servant. The dear sisters of Lazarus brought us comfort as we learned that grace is at work even when our world is shattered and it seems as if God doesn't care. His love for us is never in question. This physical life that we so desperately cling to is not the whole story because it's only temporary for God by his grace has provided eternal life to those who believe in Jesus Christ for he is the life and the resurrection we all so desperately need. Grace feels our pain and God is moved by our suffering. He weeps with us but more than that He invites us to join him in the work that only he can do, removing obstacles that keep people from believing and helping each other lay aside the things that bind us and keep us from following him. Beloved Peter helped us to understand that the God of all grace calls us to follow him and that he sees us not only for who we are, but also for who he wants to make us. He knows we will be tested, and as our gracious high priest in heaven, he prays for us. He never leaves us alone in our trials. And because of his amazing grace, he is always and forever the God of second chances. He never gives up on us, but always extends his grace to us when we fall. Of course, our part is to pick ourselves up and never stop following. And then finally, the great apostle Paul showed us that no one is beyond God's grace. He can reach all those who are far from him, even his enemies, and that God has a grace-filled purpose for our lives as we are his chosen instruments to proclaim his name to others. And grace will help us to experience God's power in our weaknesses rather than our strengths. And as we learn to find contentment in whatever circumstances we face, Christ's grace will enable us to do all things in the strength that he gives us. And we'll be able to be an example to others as we fight the good fight, finish the race and keep the faith. Because God's grace in Jesus Christ enables us to finish well as we keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. My prayer for us all as we end our study is what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And Amen. Amen.
God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.